Please turn your Bibles with me this morning to the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark in chapter 4 will begin in verse 21 this morning. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. There is a Bible in your Nova Community Church app, and so you can go there and go to Mark chapter 24. Seven weeks ago, we began a sermon series entitled Kingdom Come, all about the kingdom of God. And in this series, we have learned a lot of things about the kingdom of God. First, we learned that the kingdom of God is a pervasive theme that goes from cover to cover in your Bibles. And then we learned all about the king, the ruler of the kingdom, King Jesus And then Garrett brought a message about the kingdom practices or the kingdom uh, applications of of the first century church. Then we talked about how the kingdom of God is present now and as we speak it's unveiling and the kingdom of God will have a culmination in the future. And then on Father's Day a couple Sundays ago, Adam brought us a message of how the kingdom of God, the kingdom is given by a loving Heavenly Father. And today, we conclude our Kingdom Come series with how Jesus describes the kingdom. The question here is, how does Jesus Christ explain the kingdom of God? And I think it's very, very interesting how he explains, how he sort of says, this is the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, I think, that he tells a story The story of a tree is what Jesus does. Now, California has its distinction of growing big trees. How many of you have ever seen a really big tree in California? Yeah. And there's uh, Sequoia National Park and Yosemite and Calaveras big trees and the coastal redwoods. You can even step right outside this building and see the distinction of one of the largest beautiful stone pines in California right here in our plaza. Growing up, my family often took road trips and we'd see these gigantic trees. And as a young boy, I had such a fascination with these big redwoods. And I would dream of what it looked like when that tree was a seedling. If just a little seedling, what did that tree look like? And how long ago was that? We would take hikes around the groves of these trees and we'd uh, drive through them. And even we would drive on a fallen one at Calaveras Big Trees and, and we would just stare at them and just wonder at them. Would you follow along with me this morning as I read to you how Jesus describes the kingdom of God in John chapter, I mean, Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And Jesus said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And he also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, 
Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. Today, as we wrap up the Kingdom of God, this Kingdom Come series, we'll talk about what's important in the Kingdom according to what Jesus uh, has brought us, and then we're going to take a look at a Kingdom principle. It's a very paradoxical principle, and then we'll talk about how do we get the power to live a Kingdom life. Um, So let's begin. Let's talk about what we'll call the keys to understanding the kingdom of God. The keys to understanding the kingdom of God. And the first thing we'll tackle is what's important in the kingdom. In Mark chapter 4, verse 30, Jesus says, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? And I think in in this whole series of the kingdom of God, I think this is fascinating that Jesus himself would ask the questions, what are we going to say what the kingdom of God is all about? And how do we even describe the kingdom of God? And we've been trying to do this over the last uh, seven weeks, over the last six sermons. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus asks this question. And I think it's also fascinating that Jesus doesn't just explain the kingdom of God in a single sentence or a single definition or even as if Jesus could take this kingdom of God and say this is a single word to describe the kingdom of the, the kingdom of God now why does Jesus only talk in stories and in likenesses and sort of metaphors about the kingdom and I think it's because the kingdom of God he didn't want the kingdom of God to be explained in just one word or one definition or one sentence. It, it can't be put in a definition. And I think, if, if I could even think of this, I think we experience similar things in our own life when we try to explain something that's happened. When you meet up with a close friend or a family member that you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe they took a trip. We do this in our family. When a a member of our family takes a trip, a vacation, and then they come back, we always have to get together, and it's not just, so how was it? And they say, oh, it was good. We go, oh, that's good. And then we just, you know, that's it. We, we don't do that. It's, it's sort of like with all the people who went on that um, Holy Land tour that uh, Pastor John and, and Dee Sanders led. When I saw someone from that tour, and I'd say, hey, welcome back. And they'd say, great. And, and I'd say, well, how was it? Well, they didn't just say, oh, it was good. None of them did. We'd have to sit down and, and sit for at least a half hour 
so that they could tell about their experiences and, and the things that they saw. And the kingdom of God is like this. It's, it's, it's too big to just answer with one word, one sentence, one, one definition. And so Jesus asks this question, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? And then he begins with a, with a metaphor in verse 31 of Mark chapter 4. He says, it is, it is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And when Jesus uses this metaphor here, his hearers understood what he was talking about. And I think we think mustard seed, smallest of seed. Yeah, we, we kind of get that. But they thought way beyond that because they understood and they knew the Old Testament because he was referring to something that the prophets talked about long ago. Jesus is describing here the great tree that the Old Testament prophets talked about. And this tree is vitally important when Jesus talks about it. In Ezekiel chapter 17 and in Daniel chapter 4, it makes reference to this great world tree. And Daniel describes a vision of this symbolic tree. And, and he says in Daniel chapter 4 that from the ends of the earth you can look up and you could see this great world tree, this, this symbol. And he says that its leaves are beautiful, that its fruit is abundant. He says that the beasts of the field take shelter in it and the birds of the air make their homes in its branches. And every creature on the face of the earth eats of its fruit and is satisfied. This tree is described as this great connector between heaven and earth. And ancient philosophers would use a Latin term for something like this that would connect heaven and earth. They would call it the axis mundi. And it was Latin for the center of the earth, the connector between heaven and earth. And, and Jesus is describing or hearkening back to that great tree that the prophets talked about in Ezekiel 17 and Jan Daniel chapter 4. And in this image, the prophets are communicating the history of the world in the Bible. You see, originally, God dwelt among us. And his presence and his glory and his life were among us. And the world was paradise. There was no death and no tears, no disease, no poverty, no injustice, and no brokenness of any kind. And where God is present, all things flourish. We were made, we were created, each and every one of us were created to just flourish. And so when, when things aren't flourishing in our lives, when we see things that are broken in this world, it's not right with us. It doesn't set well with us because we were made to flourish. But human beings wanted control. We wanted to be our own masters, our own lords. We wanted to call the shots to sort of decide how we were going to flourish ourselves. And as a result, the presence of God was withdrawn. Heaven and earth are now separated. The eternal and the temporal are remote from each other. And therefore, our present reality, we live in this broken world with death and disease and despair and depression. All of that has entered in. But the prophets foresaw a day back in 
Ezekiel 17, Daniel chapter 4, in which God would plant a tree or build a stairway to reconnect heaven and earth. He would reclaim this one day. And when the presence of God is united, reunited with earth, the earth will be paradise again. And that's the symbol of this great tree, the reconnector of heaven and earth. And you see, we weren't created for this broken earth, but the kingdom of God is our hope of what our hearts were created for. And so Jesus says here, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. And another important thing to see here is that God's, is God's salvation of the kingdom. In the United States, in, in America, in the Western world, we live a very individualistic culture. It's, 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 it's very individualistic. It's, it, it, and it leaks into our, the way we think about salvation. The first point that we can make here in, in number one is God's salvation is not just about you, but it's, it's about the world. It's not just about your happiness. A lot of times in, in American churches, we talk about salvation and we talk about your joy and, and, and your spirituality and your well-being and your life will be better if you just receive Jesus. But God's salvation is not just about you, but it's about the world, the justice in the world and helping the poor in the world. Dignity to the marginalized, care for the oppressed. It's, it's about the world. It's not just about you. Second statement we can make about God's salvation is God's salvation is not just about you, but it's about God. It's about God. God is king of the kingdom, and, and he's to be honored and obeyed. In Psalm 100, verses 3 and 4, it says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. God's salvation is not just about you. It's about God, and, and it's about honoring him. It's about obeying him. What's important in the kingdom? It's about the kingdom of God, and it's about the king. Number two, what we could see in all of this is a kingdom principle that Jesus brings. And the principle of the kingdom is hard to, it's, I guess it's, it's hard to understand. It's, the concept is there. It's hard to embody, I think is the better word, because it goes against the grain of what's natural in our life. Mark chapter 4, verse 24, in the second part of that, Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And Jesus is saying here that the more you give is the more you'll have. And the way to, way to fullness is to empty yourself. And he goes on in verse 25. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And Jesus is saying here that givers will have more and more. And graspers and keepers and takers will have less and less to hold on to. You see, giving, giving or emptying yourself is the way to fullness. It's the kingdom principle. This paradoxical kingdom principle applies in virtually every area of your life. You see, if, if you know Jesus and you want to grow closer to him, and people will say that, they'll, they'll come to us and, 
and they'll, they'll be new attenders, and they'll say, you know, I really want to grow in my relationship with God. What should I do? What would be the next step if I want to grow in my relationship with God? And so uh, leaders, uh, uh, pastors, staff members, board members, people would say, you know, you should go to a small group. That's where you can grow, or you should, you should go to a Nova class in the second hour. You should go to a Nova class, and you could grow. But I'll tell you the secret on the people of Nova who grow the most. And even, we could probably say, grow the fastest and the most. It's just a little secret that small group leaders and Nova class teachers or leaders grow spiritually more and faster. And the reason is because they pray and they study and they prepare to lead and and teach, and through their preparation, they grow spiritually. Now, the question is, do the attendees of these small groups and the classes, do they grow? Yes, they grow, but not as much as the leader and the teacher. The person preparing the food to feed others gets nourished the most because the more you give away, the more you have. Another example of this would be, let, let's just say you, you want to make friends, or maybe you're, you're, you're single and you want to get into a relationship. And, and if you're looking to find friendship or you're looking to find a relationship, you could do it selectively and conditionally. And what, what I mean by that is you're looking for the coolest, hippest, best-looking, most influential, most attractive person that you want to make a friend with or you want to date someone like that, the people that will meet your highest desires or your highest standards. And you could, you could go about that that way, sort of a selective and conditional way of friendship or, or trying to find someone to date. But if you do that, so many times you're not going to find that person to be a friend with. You're not going to get your needs met. On the other hand, if you go into developing a relationship with someone else, by being sacrificial, being an unselfish servant, you're going to be relationally rich. I used to uh, direct, we talked a lot about camp already, and we prayed about camp today already, and we already know that you know, 25 people from Nova are on their way, but I used to, let me tell my own camp story. Um, <laughs> I used to direct camps when I was in college. I was a camp director, and it was a, I was a camp director of the church I was attending. It was a very large church, and, and we had a ministry to intellectually challenged and physically disabled people. And all summer long, we would take people from all across the country, um, campers, to Yosemite Valley. And I basically lived in Yosemite for the summer, for two summers, and I directed these camps. In the spring, in the winter and the spring, we would start to recruit counselors for these camps. And most of them were single people. Most of them were young, college students, and we would start recruiting, and we'd interview them, and, and, and then we'd offer them jobs to be camp counselors for our, uh, our summer camps in Yosemite. And the ones we would look for, the ones that we'd try to recruit, were the ones who we really saw a servant's heart in, because you'd have to serve like crazy if you're going to be a camp counselor. For the physically disabled, you were taking them to the bathroom, and many times you were feeding them, and you'd put them to bed and wake them up and clean them up and take them on hikes. We'd strap their wheelchairs to big poles, and we'd, 
hike, and, and we do, it was just crazy. It was a, it was a great, great time in, in Yosemite for those two summers that I had. But what we were looking for are people who were going to be unselfish and had a great servant's heart. But here's what would happen every summer is most of these counselors were single college students and young adults. At the end of the summer, oh man, they would couple up. And they'd find each other, and they were camp counselors, and they were busy all the time, but we were together, and you know what, what they saw in each other? They saw a servant, unselfish attitude, just in their whole life, and that was so attractive to one another. That I, would, I went back to the church and we gave a little wrap-up and an update on all this. And I said, you know what? We have a singles ministry here of people who are trying to find each other. But I got the best singles ministry in the whole world every summer. It's come to camp with me and you're going to find that special someone. It happens every time. The way to fullness is by emptying yourself. And this is the, the kingdom principle. The kingdom of God is the world turned upside down. The way to greatness is to be humble. The way to richness is just give it away. The way to happiness is to serve others. Dr. Richard Hayes, a professor at Duke Divinity School, he wrote a book on the Gospel of Mark, and he, he says this, In the kingdom, God has reversed the position of insiders with outsiders. Those with positions of authority usually reject Jesus and his message. People of lower and despised positions in the world in first century culture receive the gospel gladly. The lepers, women, little children, the blind, the Gentile, and the poor, all these show faithful response to Jesus. The respectable do not. As Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 31, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. We should not underestimate the shock of this reversal and inversion on the first readers. It was a shock to them that Jesus would say this. And this is why the paradoxical kingdom principle creates a radically different community. It's what we have here. A, a human community that regards money and power and status and recognition and comfort in a completely different way. The human community at the margins have always been most receptive to the gospel. For instance, right now the gospel is growing quicker and explosively in the Middle East and in Asia and in Africa. People who are generally away from the centers of power and influence and wealth is where the gospel's growing. Now why is this? It's because the way up is down. There's nothing more deadly spiritually. There's nothing more deadly to spirituality than to be morally and materially superior. Religion says, religion will always say that the way up is up. If you're a good person, that you're blessed. But the kingdom says that the way up is down. If you see yourself as morally depraved, God welcomes you. So what about us? Let's just kind of stop and think. What about us? We already talked about how beautiful of a, of a day it is here in Southern California in the South Bay. What about us in Southern California in the South Bay where this sort of 
undercurrent of elitism reigns? What about living in a wealthy area? What about this weather that we have that we all are blessed and we love? What about how worn out we are and stressed out trying to keep up with the person that's next to us? What about the great credentials that many of us have and the talent that we have and the good looks that some of us have? I think about South Bay people who hear about the paradoxical principle of the kingdom of God. What do we think about this? Is it true? Can we live like this? We are not saved because we have it all together. But we look deep into our life and we see brokenness and moral failure and dependence on God understanding that all of the blessings that we have come from the grace of God. In our mission, our mission is to see others created in the image of God. Every person bringing the good news of the kingdom of God for redemption and human flourishing. So how do we live like this? I mean, how is it possible to live like this? How do we create a community of people to live like this? How do women and men, brothers and sisters together, live a kingdom life? Understanding what's important in the kingdom and living out this principle that goes against our natural instinct to put ourselves first. We look at this text today and we find the importance, the important thing in the kingdom. And then we see the kingdom principle. And the third is, how do we find the power to live this kingdom life? How do we live this life? How do we get this radical confidence to live this way? It sounds wonderful. It sounds beautiful. It sounds transformational. I want it in my life. But where and how do I find the power to live like this? When the text refers here in Mark chapter 4 to a mustard seed, it, it refers to the smallest of seeds that was known to them. It goes into the ground and it becomes a great tree. Who is this text referring to when it talks of the seed? See, Jesus said that he is a seed that goes into the ground. He literally becomes a tiny seed. He went down so that we could go up. It's that principle again. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, became a man. He was the Lord of the universe. In heaven, he came down to become a man. And even before that, he became a baby. And before that, he was an embryo. And before that, could we say he was a single cell, the smallest of seeds? Why would Jesus, the Lord of the universe, do this? He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for us. He came down for us. And he he gave us this example. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2. He writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This morning, we, we began our, our, um, our talk this morning talking about trees. In our text, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a seed that grows into this great tree. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he tells us about this great tree that the prophets of old talked about. And it was a tree, a symbolic tree, that Jesus was nailed to and he died on. And this is the great tree that connects heaven and earth. And on the cross, you have the ultimate example of the kingdom principle. The cross, because it was a tree of death for Jesus, it became a tree of life for us. It, it's interesting, I think, to see in Genesis chapter 28, it's this uh, story of Jacob having this dream, and he dreams of this ladder or this stairway uniting heaven and earth. It was a, a, a form of an axis mundi, the center of the earth, this, something that connects heaven and earth. And Jacob sees in his dream this ladder or this stairway that angels are ascending and descending on, connecting heaven and earth. Years later, centuries later, Jesus calls his disciples and he encounters a man named Nathaniel. And in John chapter 1, verse 49, Nathaniel says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then Jesus added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And right there, it's so exciting to me, that right there we see Jesus saying, When I go to the cross, I will be the one uniting heaven and earth. I will be the bridge or the great tree so that forgiving and healing and restoration and the restoring power of God can come into every person's life. I'm going to do that, Jesus said. How? It's because Jesus humbled himself and became the smallest of seeds for you. And as you understand this, you'll have this power to live that kingdom life. That's so paradoxical to us. Two weeks ago, my wife Janet and I were in Chicago, Illinois, and we were at our denomination's national conference. And, and um, while I was there, I got to talk to a number of, of young, um, some of them were young pastors, some of them were uh, not yet pastors, seminary students, some of them were church planters, and they had uh, I, I love talking with, with young people. They, they, they see me and they say, can we, can we grab lunch together? And, and we'll talk and I just see stars in their eyes and they're, they're dreaming of a place somewhere in, in the uh, United States. We're going to plant a church in Iowa. I talked to another guy in Wisconsin and Phoenix, Arizona and, and, they're, and they're talking to me and excited about it and I love it. It encourages me a lot as I talk to these young guys, these young seminary guys. Um, but it reminds me of a story 
um, a fun story of a new seminary graduate. And some seminarians, not, not, uh, not the young guys we have on staff. Our young guys are not like this at all. I'll say that first. Um, but some seminarians, um, they think that they have so much knowledge and they think that their job is to bring their vast knowledge of theology and of God and of the Bible to a, a starving church body. They think that's, that's their job. Um, and it reminds me of the story of this new seminary graduate who uh, returned to his hometown after he graduated. And he was invited to preach at his, the church that he grew up in. And the church that he grew up in had this high platform, really high platform and a, and a high pulpit. That's what, that's what this is, this podium. And, he, uh, and when it was time for him to preach, he was prepared all week to bring his vast knowledge upon this sad and uh, uh, hurting congregation that needed to hear the great things of God that he learned in his schooling. So he was excited, and he had his notes, and he climbed the steps to this high platform and this high pulpit, so confident and so proud of his degree that he received and, and so filled with the knowledge of seminary. He was excited, and so he begins his sermon, but right about in the middle of his sermon, he sensed that he wasn't doing so well, and he started to get confused and he started to struggle. Of all of his studies, he was just, he wasn't doing well. And so by the time he landed that sermon, that landed that plane, and uh, he was done, he closed his notes and he closed his Bible and he dejectedly walked down from that high platform uh, down to the back where he was greeting people as they left the worship service. An older woman, saint, who put diapers on him when he was in the nursery in that church. She said to him, young man, if you went up the way you came down, you would have come down the way you went up. You need to think about that for a little bit, didn't you? <laughs> you see, the principle of the kingdom of God applies to everything in our life. James chapter 4, verse 10. James writes this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he, he will lift you up. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand for the benediction.